Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 148 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Integrator, an interview with Romy Rosen. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Matt, I really enjoyed interviewing this young woman, in large part because in the past we've interviewed young people, and the challenges that children have overcoming Lyme seem to be so much greater than people who get sick later in life. And this young woman had the formula for how to get better when you are a child suffering from Lyme disease. Rich, what really blew me away about Romy's story is the fact that she was sick when she was seven years old, finally got into remission when she reached 13, then had a relapse at 16, but took her health into her own hands and got into remission again. She then almost experienced a second relapse, but detected it coming and took the proper steps to keep herself in remission and is still living a symptom-free state today. So Matt, the formula for at least Romy's healing is one where she integrated Eastern and Western medicine. She integrated psychology and tactics. She integrated the work that her mother did during her childhood with her taking control of her own health. And many other facets of her healing were related to integration. So Matt, I'm really excited to introduce to the Tick Bootcamp community, the integrator, Romy Rosen. Hey, Romy, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So Romy, share with our listeners, where do you live? Awesome. So right now I'm living in Orange County, California, and I'm attending Chapman University. I'm a sophomore. And what are you majoring in? I'm actually a psychology major and I'm a women's studies minor. All right. So Romy, where did you grow up? So I was actually born in Ridgefield, Connecticut, and then my family and I moved to Portland, Oregon when I was about seven or eight. And so that's basically where I would consider growing up, you know, because most of my childhood was there. So you, uh, you were born in the Lime Belt. Yes, I was. <laughs> yeah. So Matt and I are from the Lime Belt as well. Uh, we, we actually define the Lime Belt as the communities around the Long Island Sound, because that's where Lyme disease was really started in, yes. you know, in, in the sense that um, you know, Lyme disease exists now. And we'll talk more about that. So uh, remind me, how long did you, how long did you uh, live in the Lime Belt? So I was in there from about 2001 until 2008 when I moved to Oregon. Right. And how old were you um, in 2008? Seven. Oh, so you, you, were, you were in the Lyme Belt for seven years. Yes, I just oh. turned seven. And did you start to show your symptoms of Lyme disease before you left the Lyme Belt or did that happen after you moved west? It was mainly before we had moved west. And honestly, that was part of the reason my dad had gotten laid off from his job. So that was, you know, the main reason for moving across the country. But, you know, once I had started to get sick and was having these symptoms, my mom is originally from the West Coast. She's from California. And so she, you know, they really were talking about and they were like, we think that we need to get you out, you know, of Connecticut out of the Lion Belt. But yes, yeah, so I did start showing symptoms right around when I turned seven. Um, and my parents, you know, knew something was wrong. I really wasn't able to walk in a straight line. I would have these crazy hyper events and then crash suddenly I had some fatigue and some headaches and some shin pain and I was just you know very very sick and I was having some seizures and I actually almost lost my lost my life once when I first got diagnosed I had a Lyme induced seizure which was you know terrifying to be seven and have to go through that and you know I don't even remember a lot of it just because of the trauma that's associated with it. So Romy when did the symptoms begin to develop for you like when did when did you first have symptoms? Right. So that was probably around when I turned seven. My birthday's in May. And so we moved to Portland in the summer of 2008. And so right around a few months before that was when I really started to get sick. And, you know, these symptoms were presenting themselves. My parents were like, something, you know, is up and something is wrong with her. And my mom at that point, I think had heard a little bit about Lyme and she actually dropped everything that she was doing to then, you know, fully research what was going on with me. And then I ended up, you know, going to a few doctors in Connecticut. And then I ended up seeing Dr. Richard Horowitz. Um, and then we ended up moving and then, 
you know, once I moved to Portland, the symptoms were still there and they were still worsening and it definitely affected my elementary school experience. Okay. So again, I just want to deconstruct this a little bit. So yeah, you're, you're growing up in the Lyme belt and, um, and I'm wondering what it is you knew about ticks and Lyme disease before you started showing your symptoms. I mean, I knew nothing because I was, you know, a kid. And I think my parents had known a little bit about it just because, you know, when you're living somewhere like Connecticut, where there are a lot of ticks, I feel like everyone's kind of aware of them. But I think that because of the time, you know, I was really young, it was 10 years ago. And so uh, we just didn't really know how Lyme worked or how, you know, ticks could, you know, cause Lyme or cause chronic Lyme. And so I really, you know, as a child had no idea. So I would just go outside and play and we would still check for ticks, but I don't think we ever knew how serious we needed to be about it. Do you recall ever finding a tick on you when you were living in Connecticut? I do not. Do you know if your parents ever recall finding a tick on you when you were living in Connecticut? I'm actually not sure, but I don't believe they did. Now, are there any other members of your family uh, that are now suffering or have ever suffered from Lyme disease? Yes. So we think that we all have it, all four of us, but my dad and I are the only ones that have really, you know, presented symptoms with it. And so my dad is currently also in treatment. We go to the same Lyme doctor, um, but he's been doing great and he's really, you know, been getting it under control. But yeah, so the two of us have kind of been, you know, the Lymeese of the family. And who is the fourth person? So it's your mom, your dad, you, and who's the fourth person? I have an older brother. And he also has symptoms of Lyme disease? He's had them occasionally. He was really sick when he was uh, born, actually. So he had a lot of health conditions his first few years of life, which I don't know too much about because I wasn't here yet. Um, but he has never really had like considered to be have Lyme just because it's never really, you know, impacted his life that much or he's never presented symptoms of Lyme. Now, what about your mom? Uh, does she have symptoms of Lyme now or has she ever shown symptoms of Lyme disease? She'll occasionally have them. And I think that a lot of it also just correlates, you know, when you have Lyme, it really depends on how well you're taking care of yourself or if there's, you know, a lot of stress going on in your life. And so she's definitely had some days where she's been a little bit flary or she's had, you know, some headaches or some fatigue or some brain fog. Um, But, you know, with what she does, she's actually an energy medicine practitioner. And so with what she does, she's been able to really, you know, kind of nip it in the bud and just get those symptoms handled quickly. So when you were all living in Connecticut in the Lyme belt, uh, Mm -hmm. were you all showing symptoms of Lyme disease or were you the only person that was showing the symptoms at that time? I do not remember a ton, but I do believe that I was the first one and that I was the only one, at least in Connecticut. Now, let's talk about the impact that your early symptoms were having on your entire family. I mean, you, you sort of began to tease that with us and said that your mom essentially dropped her life and became this uh, person who was obsessed with Lyme disease. So talk about first how your symptoms affected your mom and then talk about how your symptoms were affecting the rest of the people in your family. Right, I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, I've tried to put myself in her shoes and I think that that's the hardest thing, you know, is when you're sick, you're really only focused on yourself. So, you know, even at seven years old, I was just like, why am I feeling like this? Why do I have all these symptoms? And I couldn't imagine, you know, being a parent and seeing like your little child, you know, being just so incredibly sick and not being able to go to school or not being able to, you know, go see friends or everything. So I think that the emotional toll that it took on her was really, really rough because, you know, you no know, parent wants to see their child suffer. And, you know, here I am really suffering. And I think it was very similar, you know, for my dad, my dad and I are incredibly close. So are my mom and I, um, but my dad's basically him and I are the same people. And so I think for him, you know, seeing like his daughter, something was obviously wrong. I was a very happy child. I was always so energetic and fun. And to see me so sick, I'm sure, you know, was incredibly tough for him. And for my brother, you know, I 
honestly, I've never asked him about it just because, you know, it's been tough for me to come to terms with the fact that I was sick so young. And so I don't think I've ever wanted to dive into it too much with him, but you know, I'm sure that to have your sister be really sick was really tough, but he also at the time was so young, he's only two years older than me. And so I'm sure he also didn't really know what was going on too much. And when I relapsed um, later in high school, he was in college. So he was a lot more involved, you know, and he was older. And so he's definitely a lot more involved in my health now than he obviously was when he was nine. Now, before we get to your relapse, I'd like yes. to still stay focused on your, your childhood. Yes. Um, you, you began to sort of tell us a little bit about the type of child you remember yourself being before you had gotten sick. Give us some more detail on what kinds of things you were doing and what kinds of dreams you remember yourself having before you got sick. Yeah. So, I mean, I was just the most energetic, hyper happy child there was. And I, you know, I just loved people and I loved being around people. I would love to play with my brother. We'd come up with all these fun, imaginative games in our house. And, you know, we'd like play house or we play kitchen or, you know, all that stuff. And so I remember just being so happy all the time and just running around. I love being outside, you know, which, you know, has been difficult, you know, with Lyme. But I think that, you know, when I was younger, I just loved running around outside and biking and just playing outside. And I grew up a competitive dancer later in my childhood. Um, but when I was really young, I was still put in dance classes in Connecticut. And that's, you know, how I started dancing. And I, you know, from a very, very early age, I wanted to be on Broadway. Like that was my dream is I wanted to be a Broadway dancer. Um, if not that I wanted to be, you know, many little girls want to be ballerinas and I wanted to be a ballerina or just, I always knew that I wanted to perform since I was, you know, three or four, I would just put on performances for my family. So let's talk about how your developing symptoms impacted your dream of becoming a Broadway dancer. Um, when you started to get sick at seven, were you able to pursue your dance dreams? So right when I got sick, I wasn't just because a lot of my symptoms involved like shin pain, really, really bad muscle aches, fatigue. Um, I, like I said, I had really bad brain fog. And so focusing memory was really tough. I couldn't really walk in a straight line a lot of the time. And so you know, in the early stages, especially since I was so young, like dance was not the priority at that time. You know, it was, we need to figure out her health. We need to get her better. And then when I moved to Portland, um, we started trying to see if I could get into dance classes there. And there was a studio near me that a lot of my friends were going to. And I actually ended up starting my competition journey there um, when I had moved. And I think that at least for my childhood with Lyme, I think that dance saved me. I think both in a mental way, because, you know, it ha it's just that uh, that space, you know, that headspace, I just get out of my head. I am there, I'm in it. But I think also physically, I think that if I didn't have something and because I was young, I didn't really comprehend Lyme too much. I didn't really know what it was. And so I think because I was so young and I was, you know, going to dance and I was able to go dance, I think that that really helped keep things flowing in my body and really helped if I like wasn't feeling well, I would take a day off. But I think that if I hadn't had dance, I think that I would have been a lot sicker. So what impacted now we're talking about that same window when you were seven years old, living right. in Connecticut, about to move uh, to the West Coast. Right. Um, what impact did Lyme have on you socially? Meaning it sounded like you were a very social kid, not only within your family, but outside of your family. And how did the symptoms that you were suffering impact you socially? Yeah. So, you know, that was really tough. And I think that it's not talked about enough, you know, the social difficulties that come with having Lyme, especially when you're really young. I think it was so hard for me to understand why I, you know, couldn't play outside with my neighbors past 730. And like, I had to come inside and go to bed. And like, 
that's really difficult as a child and you don't really recognize it until you're older, you know, and you have to, you know, work through all of it. But, you know, when I was younger, it was just like, why can't I do this? Or like, why can't I do that? And so, you know, it really started with me just not being able to dance and then me not being able to go to people's birthday parties. Or if I went to a birthday party, I couldn't eat the cake because it would make me sick. And so then I feel like I was, you know, weird or an outcast or like, what's wrong with me? You know, I'm six or seven years old. Like I can't, you know, eat a birthday cake at my friend's birthday party. And then I think that, yeah, I mean, it was just really tough to not be able to go do things. And I also ended up missing a lot of school when I moved, when I later moved to Portland, I had to do a lot of tutoring to catch me up. Um, And, you know, my teachers, my teacher at the time was not understanding because, you know, it was Connecticut. No one really knew about Lyme. So it was, you know, all of that mixed together. But yeah, that was really tough. I just, I couldn't go to school. I felt, you know, I was seven years old and I felt dumb, even though, you know, you're in elementary school and I felt dumb because I couldn't do math or I couldn't do science like all the other kids were doing. How did the other kids and other people treat you? You began to sort of share with us that teachers didn't always mm-hmm. treat you well. And, and that's a pretty common theme we yes. see in, um, in uh, interviewing young folks like you who have had Lyme disease during their childhood. The teachers are generally not understanding of their challenges and in many ways make it worse. So let's focus right. on that first. What, um, how did your teachers treat you between the ages of seven and 13 when you were symptomatic? Yeah, so I would honestly say it was a lot worse in Connecticut. Um, so my second grade teacher before I moved to Portland, um, she was just really difficult and just, she didn't understand Lyme. And you know, a lot of people when they don't understand something, they're like, oh, well then why do you need to miss school? Or why can't you do this? And so, you know, for me, I again, don't remember a ton of that because it was at the really early stages of my d- diagnosis. But then moving to Portland, I really noticed a difference in just how progressive it was and how the teachers, like my third grade teacher, I remember like, she didn't necessarily understand it, but she wasn't mean to me, you know, for having to miss school. And so I definitely had a balance over the years. I remember in sixth grade, I had a math teacher who was really, really awful to me, just to be completely honest. Um, In sixth grade in Oregon, you take a test to see if you're going to go into like the smart, I called it like the smart kids math or like normal kids math. And, you know, all my friends got into the higher level of math, but I didn't because, you know, I had been behind and I, you know, still dealing with really bad brain fog. And so processing was really difficult for me and I couldn't retain much information. And so she, I remember was really hard on me and wouldn't like give me any extra help or she just made me feel, you know, that there was something wrong with me that it didn't, you know, that it didn't really have to do with anyone else. And the hard thing too, is that I didn't know anyone else in Oregon that had Lyme when I moved. I, you know, now growing up, I see people that I grew up with in Connecticut have Lyme now. And, you know, it's interesting just to kind of see how that worked out. But in Portland, it wasn't really a thing that was talked about, but it was definitely, I had teachers that were a lot more progressive in their ideals where they didn't necessarily need to understand it, but they would still try to work with me and figure out how to make it best for both of us. Now, how did you feel when you had the teachers who were being rude to you? I mean, what impact did that have on you emotionally? I mean, that impact stays with me today. I think that, you know, a lot of what happened to me when I was younger stuck with me today because, you know, your brain is forming, you're a child, you're growing up. And when you're hearing all these things or, you know, you're telling a teacher that you can't like go to class because I had to go to treatment or I had to go see my doctor and they like kind of like roll their eyes at you, you obviously that sticks with you. And I think that that's one of the, another thing that's not talked about enough with Lyme is just, I grew up thinking that there was something wrong with me for having an illness. And I grew up thinking that there was something wrong with me because I wasn't as, you know, quote unquote smart as all the other kids in my grade when I obviously had this life changing and life threatening for me illness. And so 
I think that that impact is just, you grow up honestly thinking that you're not very smart. And I've really noticed that even now, just I'll have those days where I feel like I'm not very smart and I kind of have to, you know, trace back and be like, where does that come from? But I think that it's something that all teachers, especially now that Lyme is becoming a little bit more, more known. I think that it's something that teachers need to be aware of is that you don't need to understand it, but you still need to support your students. Talk to us about how your peers treated you when your teachers were essentially telling you or implying to you that you were dumb. Did, did any of your peers sort of support that perspective that was either foisted upon you or you're feeling yourself about your capacity? Um, honestly, growing up, I never talked about Lyme. I, you know, I didn't really understand it. And I think that for me, anything, especially after moving, anything that would isolate me from the general public, I didn't, you know, didn't want to talk about. It. And so honestly, not a lot of my friends knew what was going on. Um, you know, I have my really close friends that knew that I had Lyme disease, but none of them knew what it was. But really, really what I'm asking you, Romy, is not whether or not your friends knew about it or you were talking with them about it, but did anybody mistreat you because they were either piling on because of the way teachers were treating you or because you really weren't able to be the kind of friend you'd want to be? You couldn't go to parties. You couldn't do the same things they were doing. Like, did any of your friends treat you differently because you couldn't fully participate? Um, actually, no. That was one of the things, you know, really early on that I was really blessed with is that I had really good friends that weren't going to treat me differently because of it. That is a blessing. Well, there are any other people in your life, doctors, extended family members, any other people in your life who treated you badly while you were sick or certainly didn't treat you with the kind of sympathy they should have when you were not feeling well? Yes. So when I started dancing, when I was in Oregon, um, my mom experienced a lot of other moms, you know, being very rude towards me or just like, you know, I had a mom that of a child that I was dancing with that kind of said that like Lyme didn't exist because she didn't know what it was. Um, you know, and I, so I think that was really tough is that especially in dance, you know, there would be days where I couldn't do something or where I would have to explain, you know, oh, my muscles are feeling a little bit weak today. Can I just, you know, do half of the practice or half of the rehearsal. And there were a lot of moms that didn't understand that. And because, you know, it's just this common theme of if you don't understand it, it doesn't exist. Or if you don't understand it, it's obviously not a valid, you know, or if you thing. can't see it. Right. Exactly. It's not a valid thing. Yes. I got so many, you don't look sick comments or, you know, how can you be dancing if you're sick or, you know, all of that. And so that was also really tough as that dance, which was my outlet. I was still experiencing that kind of just ignorance around Lyme. So the dance mom phenomena that we see on uh, TV yes. seems to be something you lived in uh, in real time. Yes. So now let's let's talk about your family a little bit more. Um, do you believe that each of you were bitten by ticks at or around the same time when you were living in the Lyme Belt in Connecticut, or do you believe that you contracted Lyme congenitally? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, if I had to guess you know, we were in the Lime Belt, we were in Connecticut. I'm sure that all of us have gotten bitten by a tick at some point, but then I know that my mom was a little bit worried about me getting it, you know, from her as well. And so I think that it was definitely a balance of both. Okay. So now do you know if any of your other family members recall having been bitten by a tick and had to remove a tick during the time you were living in the Lime Belt? Uh, I do not recall that, but I don't think so. Okay. Now, again, I want to focus a little bit more on your time in Connecticut. Uh, do you recall receiving any education about ticks, either in school, in health classes or those types of classes, or within the culture that you were living in in Connecticut? I never was received any education about ticks at all. 
you remember seeing any signs or seeing any television commercials or receive any information that you would would have been able to use to prevent yourself from getting bitten by a tick or would have given you information so you could have found a tick biting you before it would have made you sick? I saw nothing. And you were growing up now in the line belt in 2001, between 2001 and 2008, and there was no information available to you? No. Now, do you know if your parents had any information about ticks and Lyme disease in that window of time when you were living in Connecticut, the birthplace of Lyme disease? Um, they did, but only because my mom seeked it out. It was only because my mom, you know, knew something was wrong with me and then just dedicated, you know, her life then to researching it and finding things, you know, and then she became one of those advocates for other people, you know, just in the culture of Ridgefield where I grew up. But yeah, so I mean, they only really were exposed to it because my mom found it. So now talk to us about how long you were sick after your symptoms developed in 2007. Okay. Yeah. So I was diagnosed in 2008. And then once I was diagnosed, I was really sick until I was about 13 and I hit remission. Um, and that time period was just really tough. You know, like I've talked about before, just, I think the emotional impact that having Lyme at a really young age has is not talked about enough. Um, I don't know a lot of people that had Lyme at a really early age. And so if that, you know, that also could just be on me that I'm not exposed to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was really, really challenging. I was experiencing just an array of symptoms every day. It was really, really difficult for me to do school. It was difficult for me to socialize. And I think one of the hardest things also was how sensitive I was, you know, both to my environment, but also just to foods. I had to cut out so many foods and just everything made me allergic and everything, you know, triggered a reaction. And it was just really tough to be really sick for, you know, those are supposed to be such forming years for you before you hit middle school and before you hit high school. And I think that I lost a lot of that because of Lyme. So now I understand you, you achieved remission at 13, but that was only for a short period of time because you ultimately had a relapse. So when, when did you relapse after achieving remission? Yes. So I relapsed the beginning of my junior year of high school. So I was 16 at the time and it was September. Um, and I honestly remember, I knew that I had relapsed before I was even told. Um, I think when you have Lyme, you become really in touch with your body and you really know certain symptoms. And I remember I was at an event for the weekend with some of my friends and I got just this pounding headache. And it was a headache that, you know, I remembered having from the very early years when I first got diagnosed. And I remember saying to one of my friends at the time, like, oh my gosh, this is a Lyme headache. And I remember being terrified and, you know, coming home to my mom and we immediately set up appointments with my doctors and, you know, got started on, you know, figuring out how to treat it again. And then the other symptoms just started coming in, you know, Lyme, for me with Lyme, headaches were always my first and last symptom because, you know, it's like the first one to come, the last one to leave. And so I think for me, it was really easy to tell when I had started to relapse. And I think a lot of that was due to my freshman and sophomore year. I was really struggling with my mental health. And I think that my body was really out of balance. And because my body was out of balance, you know, it allowed for the Lyme to kind of, you know, creep back in um, because I was just in such an unstable state. So let's talk about what your symptoms were between the age of seven and 13 mm -hmm. and then what life was like between 13 and 16. And then we'll, again, we'll talk about what the, um, what the relapse experience was like, because we've had some folks in the past describe the relapse experience is almost like you're kidnapped or kidnapper kidnapping you again. And the second experience is worse than even the first. Yes. <laughs> so, so let's talk about the, all of your symptoms between seven and 13, just give us an outline of what all your symptoms were in that window. Awesome. So 
between seven and 13, I mean, there were so many that I honestly don't remember all of them, but I remember most of them. And I think for me, it was just headaches. You know, I have, I had four different types of headaches. There were migraine headaches. There were stabbing, like it felt like someone was stabbing my head. There were just awful. And so I had headaches. I had really bad brain fog. So processing was really, really tough for me. It was very hard. I couldn't read. Um, There was a period of time when I think I was around 10 or 11, where I was seeing double just everywhere. I was just seeing double. Um, And so I had that to deal with, you know, I had muscle aches, joint pain, shin pain, fevers, seizures, which I talked about. Um, Seizures was really only when I was first diagnosed. And that was, you know, the case where I'd almost lost my life, but I haven't had one since. Um, Seizures, really bad stomach aches. Um, I had a really bad uh, strain behind my eyes where it almost feels like someone's like kind of stabbing my eyes. Um, Yeah, I mean, just fatigue, which I think I mentioned, attention issues, just it really felt like I couldn't do anything or everything hurt is how I used to describe it to my mom when I was little. So now, why do you believe that you were remitted at 13? Did all Um, of your symptoms go away? At that point, most of them, you know, had. And I think that I still had, you know, a few days, like maybe like two or three days a month where I wasn't feeling super great. But at that point, you know, I was, it almost felt like a miracle, honestly. Like I just remember being so sick and then all of a sudden, just having this period of time where I just wasn't. And I I remember just being like, oh my gosh, what is this? And I honestly do attribute a lot of that to dance and the constant movement that I had in the structure and everything. Um, I also attribute that to, you know, my mom for how much she helped me and how much she was like trying to learn. And then also I was being treated and I still am by Dr. Susan Mara, who I give so much credit to. Um, I think she saved my life in so many ways. And so I think to be in remission at that age, I think a lot of that was just, I, wasn't as sick anymore. And I think that I was able to start slowly incorporating more things. Now, Matt is going to go through your treatment journey with you in a minute, but I have a couple more questions to ask you about. What was your life? How was your life different in that window of time between 13 and 16 than it was before you went into remission at 13? Um, I was able to do stuff. I mean, I was able, and again, a lot of this is just age, you know, so once I was going into high school, you know, a couple years after I was in remission. And so, you know, being in eighth grade, I was able to go hang out with my friends after school. I was able to take a full schedule. I was able to do dance and compete like competitively. And I think that that was such a blessing. And I think that, you know, even those two years of high school before I had relapsed, I was able to go to football games. I was able to go to school dances. I could take a full schedule. I could, you know, every once in a while, if I wanted to have a candy bar, I could have one without triggering an entire reaction. So I think I really always explain it to people as I was, I felt normal for a little bit, you know, and like I'd mentioned, you know, that freshman and sophomore year, I was really struggling with mental health, but I think putting that aside and everything that I was also dealing with then, you know, I was living a pretty normal life. Now you suggested earlier that you believe that your mental health struggles triggered you back to um, the relapse in 2016. Yes. Why do you believe that your mental health challenges triggered the relapse rather than believing that your mental health issues were really just a part of your Lyme journey and you were not truly in remission. You were just, your body's just managing the symptoms better. And then they just sort of progressively developed to the point where you had a full-blown relapse. Yeah. So honestly, that's actually a really interesting question. I think that a lot of how I work is my body and my body and mind are just so in sync with each other, you know? So like if I'm struggling mentally, even now, I, a lot of times will be having some sort of symptom as well. And you know, that so it can be interchangeable, but I think that honestly, a lot of it was attributed to the environment that I was in. 
um, dealing with pretty much for almost 10 years, I was actually in two very abusive um, friendships. And I think that, you know, having that on top of Lyme, you know, is another story, but I think that those two first years of high school was when it was really, really bad for me. And I think that I was just really struggling, you know, with those friendships. And I think that was really taking a toll on my mental health. And then because of that, you know, I wasn't taking care of myself how I usually was. And I wasn't, um, I stopped competing once I went to high school because I got burned out. And so I think that I wasn't having that regular exercise. And I, you know, I was living this quote unquote normal life. So I probably wasn't eating as well as I am now. And so I think that, you know, all of those factors were making my mental health bad. And sure, I think that definitely I have symptoms of depression and anxiety as, you know, a result of Lyme. It's definitely a symptom that I've had. Um, But I think during that period, most of it was attributed to the environment and the people that I was surrounding myself with that honestly ended up making me more sick. Now, do you believe that you're surrounding yourself with these people who you ultimately defined your relationship as being abusive because you had that Lyme experience between the ages of seven and 13 and therefore wanted to be the normal kid and wanted to do some of the things that you may not have done? Or do you think you just weren't just truly healthy and therefore not able to identify these unhealthy people as unhealthy people? I honestly think it's a mix of both. I think that, I mean, one of those friendships had started very, very early, started since I had moved to Portland. Um, She was one of my first friends. And so I think that, you know, that was tough is that you already, you know, you have Lyme, which is already taking a toll on your mental health just as a child. You don't know what's going on with you. There's a ton of trauma that just stems from that. And then on top of that, you know, I had these friendships and you know, with abusive friendships, they're also the kind of friendships that you don't recognize that it's abusive until you're out of it. And so I didn't get out of it until last year. And so, you know, that's a whole other story, but I think that I was, you know, surrounding myself with them, but I also necessarily, I couldn't necessarily leave that, you know, because I was stuck in it. And then, you know, also when you're sick, I definitely think that there was that aspect, you know, I wanted to be normal. I was excited to be normal. And so, you know, maybe I would go to a football game when I wasn't feeling very well, but I just wanted to go to the football game because I was in remission and I could. And so I think that like, that's always been a difficult balance. And I think that, you know, that definitely ended up making my body be out of balance and then trigger a relapse. But I think it's hard because, you know, there is that balance of also just wanting to be a normal kid. So how do things change when you relapse at 13? When I relapsed? Yeah. How, how did, how did, how did it affect your life? I mean, you, you went from being the, you know, the kid who couldn't do everything that all the normal kids could do until you were 13. And then between 13 and 16, you went, you want to live a normal life, right? Going to parties and going to football games and doing all the things that normal kids do. And then at 16, you have to relapse. How did that impact your life? I mean, it was awful. Honestly, I think just, I mean, even to start out relapsing junior year of high school, worst possible year that you could relapse. Um, You know, that's when college apps start or, you know, you start looking at that kind of stuff. And, you know, for me, when I relapsed, I, didn't know if I was going to be able to go to college. I didn't know if I was really going to be able to have a future, you know, outside of Lyme. And I think that was really challenging is that all my friends, you know, were like, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go to this college or I need to get this job to, you know, go on my applications and I'm just trying to, you know, survive. And so it was really, really tough to relapse because I had also never understood anything that happened when I was really young, because like I said, like I was seven, my mom really took care of most of it. I was a kid. Um, but you know, when you're 16, I was more independent and I was more responsible for myself. And so I really had to learn about a lot of the things that were going on with my body and become a lot more in tune with my body. And I think that the relapse was a blessing in disguise, but I also 
you know, it was awful to also be honest. And so I think that there's like always a lot of positives that come out of going through a journey like I have, but I think that to relapse in high school and then just to feel isolated, I had to drop a few classes. I couldn't do a full schedule anymore. And I couldn't, I couldn't go to football games or I couldn't, you know, go to dances because the stimulus would be too much or the music would be too loud or I would have to leave school early or I, you know, couldn't carry my backpack because it was too heavy and my body was too weak. And I think what was just so hard is that at this time I was also not surrounded by the best people. And I think that was really hard because I didn't have that support system at school that I so would have benefited from. So talk about the things in a little bit more detail that you missed out on as a result of the relapse when you turned 16. Yeah, I mean, it was almost the opposite of how I was in remission. It would be Friday and there'd be a football game, but I couldn't go. And I think a lot of that, my fatigue was really bad. That was probably one of the worst symptoms that I had in my relapse. And so, you know, I would barely make it through a day of school and I would have to go home and take a four hour nap in order to even be awake past seven o'clock. And I think I had to miss a lot of the fun social events. So I had to miss, um, you know, a homecoming dance, which was really, really tough to miss. And I had to miss, you know, my school was really big on school spirits. So I couldn't go to football games or basketball games because it would either be too late or it would be too loud or the lights would bother me or I just wouldn't be feeling well and I couldn't go or I didn't go to school that day. And so I missed out, you know, on a lot of that. And then also being able to take um, all the classes that I wanted to take or feel like, you know, I was headed towards college. I just couldn't at that point, you know, and on the days where I was really, really sick and I like had, I was, would be out of school for like a week at a time. And I would, you know, have to communicate with my teachers, which is really hard because I was never someone that liked to advocate for myself. And so, you know, having to tell my teachers that I couldn't do this or this presentation was too difficult for me was just, it really took a toll on me. What did the relapse or how did the relapse impact your family, specifically your mom, who was so invested in getting you better during that window of time when you were I guess between seven and 13 and now having the kidnapper return and steal her daughter away. What was that like for her? Yeah. I mean, it was really tough. And I think it was honestly even more tough because I was in high school, you know, and I've had two years of doing stuff and then I all of a sudden couldn't. And so for her, you know, especially after having an older brother who was very involved in high school and was able to do all these things, I think it was really difficult for her to then see that I'll be taken away from me. Um, and I think it definitely brought up a lot from, you know, her, past of having to help me when I was really young. And, you know, we kind of just had to do it all over again. But I also think that in the relapse, it was a lot more of her teaching me than it was her healing me, if that makes sense. So I think that she gave me and like passed down a lot of the tools that she was, you know, using um, to help me when I was really young. And she was introducing me to different techniques that I could use or different herbs or different supplements or lifestyle things or different diets. And so it was more of a collaborative effort, I would say, than it was when I was first sick. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was really, really tough on my family, especially because all I wanted to do, you know, was to just be a normal kid. And it's so hard, especially with Lyme, especially with chronic Lyme, to not always wonder, like, why me? Or like, why did this happen to me? So, Romy, I want to go back to the time when you were seven. And I know you may not remember a lot, but at a high level, do you recall how or why your mom thought Lyme disease when she was investigating your symptoms? Um, so what, from what I remember is that at that point she was in homeopathy school. And so I think that she had known just a little bit about it. She was always pretty involved in health, um, just as a lifestyle. And so I think that she had heard about it, you know, in Connecticut, it might not have been recognized, but I think that you would definitely hear it every once in a while. And so I think that she had just been kind of aware of it. And then when she really started to do some research, she found out more about it. 
And of course, I'm sure from this research you found about Dr. Har, which is one of the top Lyme doctors out there in the world. And how did, I have to ask the question, how did you get into see Dr. Horowitz so quickly? Because many people try to see Dr. Horowitz and get on either a multi-year wait list or are told he's just not seeing new patients altogether. My mom called him, I think twice a day, every day. Like she was adamant, you know, and like she, I owe pretty much everything to her, but like she, you know, would not stop calling. She would not stop saying like, you need to see my daughter, even if it's her half hour. And then somehow by miracle, we got in and like, she's just so when it's something like that has to do with her children, she just, you know, she goes for it. And is Dr. Horowitz the one who ran the blood test that came back positive for Lyme? Or did you have another doctor before that run that blood test for you? I believe so. I think he was. And at that point, and again, I know this is your seven, so it's hard to remember, yeah. but hopefully from your mom, you've learned, you know, maybe you've learned some of this. Do you recall what the treatment was when you were seven years old to treat Lyme? Because doxycycline, the normal protocol for Lyme disease, is not advisable for children because it can have an impact on their teeth and some other, other factors for young children. So do you recall what your treatment protocol was when you were seven and you saw Dr. Horowitz? Um, yeah, so I think that that was a really tough balance, um, you know, especially at this time. Also, antibiotics were not very like well supported by the community. A lot of people were against antibiotics. And my mom always says that antibiotics were what saved me in a lot of ways. I think that, you know, when I had first gotten sick, we just really needed to be invasive with my treatment. Um, and also, you know, I'd been diagnosed by Richard Horowitz, but then I had moved to Portland. Then I was under the treatment of Dr. Susan Mara. And so she had started me. I mean, I was on so many different antibiotics. I honestly can't remember which ones until I relapsed. Um, but, you know, antibiotics were really what helped me in the earlier stages because we really just needed to be invasive and really just kind of help from like a deeper level. And then, you know, once I got older, we started treating it more holistically. And something that you had noted on your pre-interview questionnaire is that you did see a doctor before Dr. Horowitz who said you can't have Lyme disease because mm -hmm. it doesn't exist. And now we're not talking chronic Lyme, we're talking acute Lyme disease. In yes. Connecticut, you were told Lyme disease does not exist. I mean, is that, can you walk us through what that was like or what your, how your mom describes that visit to you? I mean, you know, she's always been careful with telling me about this kind of stuff because, you know, as hard as it was for her, it's also hard to be the kid dealing with it, you know, being told that your symptoms, you know, you're making it up or it's in your head or, you know, all the common stuff that people with Lyme are told. And so I, it was just aggravating, you know, it's frustrating. Your child is sitting here being sick and she's doing all this research and being like, oh my gosh, maybe it's this one thing that I'm like learning about or reading about. And someone's telling her, no, that's not real because the CDC says so. I mean, that's just it makes you go a little bit crazy. It makes you think that there's something wrong with you. when in reality, there's something wrong with the society that's not accepting of the illness. And when you were 16 and you had this relapse, you mentioned that your mom shared a lot of knowledge with you that she had learned when you were seven. So give us some of the pieces of knowledge you remember that were very helpful in your healing journey when you had that relapse. Yeah. So a big part was antibiotics. I've been on minocycline and Bactrim for a really long time. And minocycline, I don't know what I would have done without it. It helped my headaches tremendously because that was a really big symptom that I was having. Um, and so, you know, she was always encouraging to learn about antibiotics and, you know, to also take them if my doctor was recommending it. But, you know, she is probably the smartest person I know. So she's an energy medicine practitioner. And so she, you know, through her journey of healing me and learning about my illness, she learned a lot about natural medicine, homeopathy, um, like bioset clearing, herbs, supplements, all of that stuff. And so, when I had relapsed, you know, my body was also very sensitive at that time. And so we had to be very careful, even supplement wise with what was being put in my body. Um, and so she was really just passing down 
the knowledge that she has, she has all these binders from when I was younger of like every symptom long I ever had or every doctor's appointment. And so like, they're always there if I need to go look at it, but it was really just this collaborative effort of me being like, mom, I'm flaring today. And these are my symptoms. And we'd go together and we'd look at the stuff that she had and she'd be like, what do you think that you need to take? Or what do you think would be helpful here? So it sounds like really documenting is important because you can look back at that and use it as a tool in the future. And also just collaborating and speaking with other people in your life that can recommend or remember things that have helped you was really critical in in your relapse journey. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, I write down when I have symptoms, I write them down. When I have an appointment with Dr. Mara, I write it all down. And I think that that's something I would always advise is just, especially with Lyme, you know, you can never trust your Lyme brain. Sometimes you forget things. And so it's important for me to write things down. Just so I remember, like, I can be like, oh, what was that one really weird symptom that I had two weeks ago? I'm having it again. And then I can, you know, go look and it's there. So Romy, you also mentioned that when you were 16, you were really sick and you had to be careful and introduce things gradually because you were so sensitive. So if you can get a little more specific about that and, and give our listeners some advice about if they are really sick, things to be careful of and, and maybe overloading their body with aggressive treatment and finding that balance of treating but not being too aggressive on a weakened system. Yeah. So honestly, the hardest thing that I had to learn at that time was a lot of it's trial and error. And that's really difficult. And sometimes you just you have to do it. And so for me, like with Dr. Mara, a lot of times it was, we would try the antibiotic, but it would make me herks really, really badly. And so we'd have to be like, okay, let's cut down, you know, the dose a little bit. Um, but I think the biggest piece of advice I would have is just learn like research, learn everything. I've tried so many different like ways of eating. I've tried cutting out certain things. Um, my brother was really allergic to gluten growing up. And so I've always been gluten-free. Um, and that's been a big help for me. And then like cutting out sugar, just, you know, everyone's body is different. And so everyone's going to have different things that they're going to need. And so a lot of it is becoming more in tune with your body. And a lot of it is researching all the options you have and then trying different ones out and seeing what's helping what's not. So in addition to the Bactrim and the minocycline that you did for the antibiotics Mm -hmm. that helped you, you also mentioned that you just dropped a couple other things on us that you had some diet changes and also homeopathy. So first let's start with your diet changes that you made when you were 16 and had your relapse and how they helped improve your health. Yeah. So diet has always been really important to me and my family. I've always been a very healthy eater. Like I've always gravitated towards that kind of food. Um, so when I had relapsed, I cut out gluten again, because also when I was in remission, I was eating gluten, you know, because I wanted to be a normal kid and I didn't want to, you know, not be able to go out and get pizza with my friends. Um, so I cut out gluten and I've been gluten-free since. And I think that that's been a huge help, especially for people that have issues with their stomach, cutting out gluten really, really helped me um, with stomach problems. And then I also tried to limit cane sugar or added sugars. Um, I don't have a big sweet tooth, so it's not really that much of an issue for me. Um, and that was really helpful just with my brain and with my headaches. Um, and so I think really just emphasizing whole foods and emphasizing food that gives you fuel and gives you energy. And I know that a lot of times with Lyme too, it can be really hard to have a good relationship with food because a lot of times you're really allergic to different things. Um, but I think for me, it was just you know, finding foods that I really enjoyed and figuring out, you know, new recipes or how to make them or saying to my mom, like, oh, will will you grab this when you're at the store? A lot of it comes from advocating for different things that you want to try. Or if you can't do that, you know, asking someone for help. I'm huge in asking someone for help. There's been so many times where I've said to my mom, like, I'm not feeling great and I'm not sure what to eat today. What would you recommend? And I'm 19 and I still ask my mom for that sometimes. And so I think just Every, again, everybody's different. So every diet's going to be different and not everything's going to work for everyone. But I think that there are definitely things that you can learn to cut out or learn to add in that are going to help with your symptoms. 
Now, Romy, let's go on to the, the homeopathy or the homeopathic route you took as well, because it sounds like you were treating now with Dr. Susan and using antibiotics and, and easing into that when you, when you got your relapse, but also with your mom being an energy healer and an energy, energy medicine practitioner, she's now looking up and researching holistic ways to treat you as well. So what specifically did you do in that world compared to the antibiotic world that also helped you heal? Yes. So homeopathy for me is a lot more like case by case basis. It's a lot more just dependent on the situation, whereas antibiotics are something I take every other day now, but usually every day. Um, And so for me, homeopathy has been just a big help in either reducing symptoms or like immediate symptoms. And so for me, I take a lot of homeopathic remedies for anxiety um, that have really helped. And so the main thing is like, you can find them anywhere, which is also great. Most grocery stores will have them. And so you can kind of, you know, go and read what they're treating and stuff. And so for me, they, I always have a bag of homeopathic remedies with me in my purse, everywhere I go, I have it in my room, I have them in my car, just everywhere. And so I have certain ones that I take for certain symptoms, especially now that I'm more in maintenance. Um, they've really been helping with those kinds of day-to-day symptoms. And so homeopathy for me, hasn't been something that's fully healed symptoms, but it's definitely something that takes the pain away a little bit. Romy, let's get a little more detailed with that because people, many people with Lyme suffer from anxiety. So what specifically are you using for you that helps you with your anxiety? So our listeners can go and research those those things and potentially use them on their own as well. Okay. So I have two for anxiety that have really, really helped me. The first one is aconite. Um, There's a ton of different potencies that you can take. I do 1M typically. Um, Aconite has been a game changer for me. I take it before every presentation. I took it before today. Um, I just take it for everything. Um, and it really helps. The big thing with homeopathic remedies is they only help if the symptoms there. So they're not really good at preventing. Um, but if I feel a little bit of anxiety coming on, I just take one of those. So aconite has been a game changer for my anxiety, especially now, you know, living on my own, um, as well as pulsatilla. Um, and I do that one also at 1M, but I also have a 30C that I'll take. And that really helps if you're feeling very overwhelmed or if you're feeling really sad, you know, Lyme's hard. A lot of times you're going to have those days where it just really sucks to have Lyme. And that's one of those remedies that I take to kind of help calm my body a little bit, especially if I've been crying a lot. And Romy, where do you buy these, these, this Alchemite and uh, Pulsatilla, which I probably mispronounced, but where do you purchase them? Can you buy them on Amazon? Like where would you recommend people go to research these? And then if they want to purchase them for Lyme anxiety, where they can buy them from a reputable source? Yes. So most of them, if you look them up, you'll find them online, but I personally get mine at Whole Foods. Um, Most like grocery stores, uh, health food stores will have in the medicine section or like the supplement section, there'll be like a little array of all the homeopathic remedies um, that you can get. My mom also has kits. So you can order like a a kit of all the main 30C ones that most people are using. Um, But it really, yeah, it really just comes from the research. But whenever I run out, I always go to Whole Foods. I don't know if Amazon has them, um, but like most Whole Foods um, in Oregon, there's something called New Seasons that has them. So any place like that should have them there. And Romy, do you have any homeopathic remedies that can help on f- the physical side as well, such as maybe brain fog or body pain or migraines, anything like, like that that you can recommend to our, our listeners? Yes. So Brionia, it's called Brionia Alba, I think. Um, that one I take for when I have a migraine, it's really good. The little description for what it heals, it says like worse motion or something. Um, but I use that for if I have a migraine and I'm feeling like I can't move without my headache feeling worse. That one really, really helps. Um, so Brionia is a really good one. And then I take Natra Muricum. I call it Natmur just because it's easier. Um, and that one has really helped with muscle aches and muscle pains. Can you say it name one more time? The muscle aches one? I'm sorry. Yeah. So it's Natrum Muricum. 
Thank you. And now you, you also done something earlier that was, I think, really powerful that you said you still ask for help, although you're 19, you still mm -hmm. ask for help. And I think that's an important part of the Lyme journey when you are in a severe brain fog moment or you're having a really bad cognitive day to be able to reach out to people and ask for help. So can you talk to us how you were able to break through that sort of uncomfortable feeling of having to ask for help now that you're a young adult and embracing that that's part of what you need to now heal and continue on with a positive health trend in your life? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the hardest parts, honestly, especially with a relapse, you know, in high school, it's really, really hard to have to be like, oh, I can't do this or, oh, I can't do that. And so I think for me, honestly, and this is probably not the best advice, but the reason that I broke through it was because I had to, I didn't have a choice. If I didn't advocate for myself, I would have gotten sicker and I would have done, you know, too much homework when I, my brain couldn't take it, or I wouldn't have, you know, had help from my mom or dad when I really, really needed it. And so a lot of it stemmed from just I had to, I really had no other option. Um, but now, you know, looking back, I would say to people, it's, there's no shame in it. Anyone that loves you and supports you is going to be so happy. Like if I text my mom when I, cause I obviously don't live with them right now. So if I text my mom and I'm saying, can you help me with something? She's overjoyed that I'm asking her for help. Like anyone that loves you and supports you is going to want to help you. Um, and that's the, like, you can't do Lyme alone. It's impossible to do Lyme alone. It's a really, really hard thing. And something that I have learned and that my therapist always tells me is that someone doesn't need to understand it to be able to help you. So none of my friends are ever going to fully understand what it's like to have Lyme, but they all support me every day with having it. And so, you know, reaching out and saying like, even now, if I'm having a day where I'm flaring a little bit, I will happily say to one of my friends, Hey, can you pick this up from the store for me? And they'll be so happy that I asked for help. And so you're very rarely going to get a bad response if you ask for help. And in the end, it's going to help both you and then bring you closer to the people around you. Jeremy, can you talk a little bit about how you were helping yourself? You said that you used this trial and error process to see what would work for you. So you can, can you give us more detail on that? And can you also share with us whether you were journaling so you could see patterns of behavior that were either responding positively or negatively to what you were trying? Yes. Yeah, so I'm a big writer. So I pretty much write everything down. Um, and so journaling, I think, really helped me. And so when it came to trial and error, a lot of it was also with homeopathy, which I was just talking about, you know, my mom would recommend something and it wouldn't work. And so we'd have to go back and, you know, find something new. And so homeopathy was a big trial and error for me, um, as well as supplements. I actually don't take the same vitamins every single day. Um, I have gotten to a point where I'm very, very in tune with my body and I can kind of sense on what it needs. And so I think it takes a lot of time, but I think the main thing that I did to be able to do this trial and error and help myself is just be patient. And I think that was really, really hard for me. Um, but you know, there's a ton of ways to treat yourself out there. And I think for me, once, you know, which I mentioned before, once I relapsed, I really wanted to treat myself more holistically. And so finding other things to implement, I started doing yoga my junior year of high school, which was a game changer for me or meditating every day. Um, meditating has really helped, especially with the, you know, emotional mental health kind of aspects of Lyme. Can you talk about how you decided to pivot from one treatment protocol to another? What were the tools you used and what types of things would you see in your journaling that would help you to pivot away from something and to try something else? Yeah. So like I've mentioned before, my body's really sensitive. Um, even now, even being, you know, healthier, I just have a very sensitive body. And so, you know, I would be journaling and writing things down and then, you know, I'd see this kind of pattern of either 
it didn't seem like I was getting better. So that was either one, like the symptom wasn't improving or my body was having a reaction where it was feeling worse. And so those were kind of like the two indicators that I would have. And so, you know, once I would see one of those, I would either, you know, if it didn't feel like it was helping, um, sometimes when it came to like homeopathic remedies or, you know, antibiotics, I would ask about a higher dose or adding in something else. And then because my body's so sensitive, if something's not working, I usually just have to stop it right away and then figure out something new. So Romy, when you had your relapse, you also, we learned from your pre-interview questionnaire that you looked at your genetics and you did some epigenetics testing. So can you talk to us about how, what, how you found that, what that was like, and then what you learned from that whole process? Yeah. So being completely honest, a lot of that was my mom. Um, you know, especially, you know, second time around, she learned a lot more about Lyme and she learned a lot more about like different things to do. Also at this point, she, you know, had a new career path of being an energy medicine practitioner. And so I think she was really interested, you know, in learning about my genetic makeup and how that's influenced my life. So she actually seeked that out and then had me do it. So I actually wasn't super involved in that process. Um, but I think that it was really helpful um, to also give that to Dr. Mara when looking just, you know, in general, as my health from a holistic point of view. And like, what are some things that you learned from this genetics test that helped your doctor either change or modify your treatment protocol based on your own specific DNA makeup? Can you think of anything that changed as a result of this testing? Um, I'm actually not entirely sure just because my, like I had said before, like my mom was mainly involved in that kind of, um, aspect. And I think a lot of times too, when I relapsed, she didn't want to overwhelm me, you know, with new information and stuff. So she really would only share, it would only bring up things that I needed to know in that exact moment, but it has been something that I've been interested in learning more about now that I'm a little bit healthier. And now understanding that your mom did most of this, do you think that this is something that actually helped your healing journey? Has your mom said this was an actual positive, um, there was a positive outcome from doing this testing to work with your doctor to identify more about your specific body? Yes, she has. And she recommends it to people that she talks to all the time. And another thing that you did also with, with your relapse was you also explored the use of ozone, it sounds like, about two years in after yes. your relapse. So was that helpful for you in your healing journey? Oh my gosh. Ozone changed my life with Lyme. It was one of those things. I actually found ozone on my own. Um, this is, you know, kind of a little bit of my mom and me as I was researching different ways, especially because how I'd mentioned before, you know, in my relapse, my fatigue was really bad. I was really struggling with that. Like I could barely make it through a day of school. And so one of these, one day I was just kind of, you know, researching different protocols for Lyme or different treatments that there were. And I found ozone and I started really looking into it. And I went to my mom and I said, mom, I think this is something that we should, you know, try. And she was like, okay, you know, let's set up an appointment and go talk to a doctor. And so I started doing ozone twice a week and I did it up until the week before I left for college, my freshman year. So last year, and it was probably the biggest help with my relapse. It changed my energy just incredibly. And I think the hardest thing with ozone is that it's one of those things you have to be really patient with. You really, really have to stick it out because the first week or so I herxed a lot and it made me feel really sick for a first, the first week. And then once my body really adjusted to it, I would leave my ozone sessions more energized. And I was able to actually, you know, start going back to football games or, you know, I could go hang out with my friends at night and not feel super fatigued or sick afterwards. And so I think that ozone really just helped my blood and give me better blood. And I think that it just really changed my energy and changed my fatigue sim uh, symptom tremendously. So although that this was really a treatment that caused you to herx a lot in the beginning, you recommend people give it a shot and not give up right away because after the first week of herxing, you really experience some positive benefits from ozone therapy. 
Absolutely. And you know, when I was talking to the nurse that does my ozone or that did my ozone, she was saying most people experience a Herx right when they started as well, you know, cause it's a huge, I mean, not only is it a big change just with medicine or you're having something new in your body, but also getting an IV is also a big experience for people. And that was my first time doing that. Um, and so she was constantly saying like, just stick it out. I know that it's making your symptoms a little bit worse, but I promise you it'll help. And it did. And, you know, if you hit two weeks, of doing ozone and it's not helping, maybe that's your sign that it's not for you and you have to do another, you know, trial and error like I was talking about before. And where do you go to find a place that can actually give you ozone therapy? Because we get a lot of questions often on social media and through our website, people asking us like, where do you find these facilities and how do you know that they're reputable? So was that something your mom did and found the, the facility or were you involved in that process as well? So I came to her talking about ozone and then she had known a naturopath who worked at the clinic where they did ozone. And so basically what we did. And then when I was coming back to college, you know, we weren't sure if I was going to do it here. And so what I ended up doing is just, you know, looking up ozone therapy near me and you just really have to commit like an hour or so, you know, to read and to read reviews and to call doctors and a lot of places also. um, I know that there's some instances where places will do it, but they won't say that they do it like on their website. You just have to call and be like, do you know a doctor? Also, if you call a place or you have a naturopath that you really like, you can always ask them, do you know somewhere near us that does ozone? Um, I had to drive 45 minutes to do it, um, which I'm really lucky that I was able to do. I had to miss school for it, but you know, in the end, my health was a priority. So that was more important, but I think either asking the doctor that you're currently seeing, if you know, if they know anyone that does ozone around you, or also just researching on your own, I think that there's more clinics now that are doing it. Romy, I think that it's amazing that although when you were seven, you really couldn't process and learn on your own. When you had your relapse, when you were 16, you really kind of jumped in and had your mom teach you everything. So you had the knowledge as well. And I think that knowledge helped you prevent another potential second relapse last year. Can you talk to us more about that and how you recognize this was coming on and what you did to stop your second relapse? Yes. So, you know, quarantine hit last year and for COVID, and that was really, really tough on a lot of people and tough on everyone's mental health. And so I, you know, was home for a very long time and I ended up moving back to school this past August um, with my friends to live off campus. We were all just going to quarantine together, do online classes together. You know, everything was great. I was very excited for it. Um, So I moved back. And then about two or three weeks into being back, I really started to notice my mental health being really bad. And I noticed that I was just feeling really anxious. I was having a lot of depressive episodes and I didn't know what was going on because I, it didn't feel like it was towards any specific thing. It just felt like anxiety or it felt like depression. And because of that, like I've mentioned before, my physical body really responds to my mo- emotional body and my mental health. And so because of that, I noticed my Lyme starting to flare up a little bit more and I was starting to flare more consistently or I was starting to have some headaches every day. And so it really got to a point where emotionally I could not do school anymore and I could not be around people anymore and I could not have those responsibilities. You know, also talking about the, complete life change it is to go from living at home to then living by yourself and being fully, you know, responsible for yourself. And so I had really, I wasn't well at all, both mentally and then physically, it really started to take a toll on me as well. And so I had gotten to the point where I'd called my parents and I'd said, I don't think I can be here right now. I think that I need to come home and figure out whatever's going on with me. Um, And I had called Dr. Mara and we had talked about, you know, some different treatments to do. And she had talked about doing um, Rocephin because I had a lot of neuroinflammation and everything. And so we had kind of made, I had kind of made a plan with her. And then I had been seeing a therapist here and we decided to, you know, up it to twice a week um, and do that. And so I honestly ended up just taking medical leave and then moving home. 
And in those four, these four past months, which is really crazy, you know, coming out of it, I had probably what's been the most healing part of my entire journey over those past four months. And I went through, you know, I was kind of talking about before about those friendships that I was in in high school. I went through some very deep, intense trauma therapy that I'm still, you know, working through. Um, also just to handle the traumas that are associated with Lyme. And I think that that was something that I'd never acknowledged because also there is a, a part of me, you know, that was in high school and I didn't want to talk about the fact that I had Lyme or I didn't want it to be a thing or I didn't want to, you know, acknowledge those feelings. And so, you know, I had gone home and I started doing IV Rocephin treatments. I was seeing Dr. Mara more regularly again because I was in maintenance. So I was only seeing her once every two months. Um, and I started seeing her once every month again. I did IVs. I was doing twice a week therapy. Um, and yeah, I really just had to take time off school to fully invest in my healing. So it sounds like your healing approach and your health has been getting better and better and better. And you're getting better at recognizing these flares and these relapses. Yeah. And now you're using a combination of, of treatment for your physical health, like when you had the, the neuroinflammation and you had, did the IV rocephin, and also your emotional health and the stress that you have emotionally, and you work on both at the same time. And as a result, you're in probably the best health you've been in, it sounds like, since you were young. So give us an idea. I mean, you're just doing an amazing job on this interview. You've given us so much great information, but how would you assess your health today compared to when you first got sick? I mean, I'm a completely different person, honestly. Like my ability to tell when I'm not feeling well has just really strengthened over the years, like you were kind of just saying. And I think that for me, having to learn at such a young age to pri prioritize both myself, my health, and then also learn about my body you know, at seven, between ages seven and 13, and then later, you know, 16, it was really frustrating because again, I felt like an outcast. I felt like I, you know, was different from all of my friends, but I think it was the biggest blessing because, you know, now, I mean, sitting here in front of you, I'm so much healthier. And I think I wouldn't have been as healthy if I hadn't have gone th through the past four months that I just did just to do that really deep healing and that deep work that I needed to do that had really just been suppressed for so long that it started to, you know, come up when I'd gone through a new life change. And so I think for me now, like I'm still treating my Lyme and I'm still, you know, getting back on my feet. And I wouldn't say I'm like perfect yet. You know, no one's perfect. Healing isn't linear. I'm sure I'll have my harder days. But I think that for me now where I'm at, I, if you would have told me that I would have been here like 10 years ago, I would not have believed you. So talk about the transformational experience that you've gone through. I mean, how are you different in a positive way as a result of going on the Lyme disease journey? Yeah, I mean, I always say to my parents, I wouldn't change the fact that I have Lyme, but I also wouldn't wish it on anyone, you know, it's awful. And so it's like that weird balance. But I think for me, you know, I wouldn't be, I feel like Lyme is such a big part of me, not in the sense that like I have it, but in the fact that it's taught me so much. And I think that because I had it, you know, a un unique experience of having it at such a young age, I really had to grow up fast, which I think, you know, was really hard when I was younger, but now, you know, I'm so grateful for it. I think that I have a level of empathy for other people and a level of support that I give to other people that I wouldn't have had without Lyme because I try to give people what I wanted, you know, when I was younger, which was really difficult. And so I feel like now I just have such a strong sense of like love for everyone around me because I understand, especially with an invisible illness like Lyme, you know, you can't tell a lot of the time. And so like, you never know what someone else is going through. And I think that I have that now because I had Lyme and because other people couldn't tell what I was going through and they would, you know, treat me poorly, not knowing what was going on with me. And so I think for me, you know, now I'm just a lot more supportive of the people around me and I'm a lot more understanding. And I also think that I'm 
pretty mature for my age because of everything that I, you know, I've had to deal with. And I think that I just have a greater appreciation for life and just, you know, the small things like for me being able to go through a day of classes now, you know, on zoom without flaring up is a huge win. And I'm so grateful for that. And so I think just now I'm so much more appreciative of the small things. Whereas when I was really sick, it was all, why is this happening to me? I'm never going to get better. Like, and you know, a lot of that is valid. You know, that was all valid, especially on the really, really tough flare days. Like sometimes it feels like you're not going to make it at all. And so like, that's really tough. But since so I think because, you know, I've gone through that, you know, near death experience when I was young. And then also just, you know, when your flares are so bad, sometimes it does feel like you're dying. Honestly, like when you go through something like that, you start to appreciate the small things around you a lot more. Marie, talk to us about how Lyme disease has impacted your career choices. You shared with us that you're a psychology major and yes. <laughs> you are certainly one of the most, um, I guess, in tune with mind and mindset and psychology of any of the guests that we've ever had. <laughs> so talk you. about how Lyme disease has put you in a position where you know so much about psychology and the mind and how that's impacted your decision to go forward with a career in psychology. Oh, yeah. So, I mean pretty much since I started high school, I wanted a career in psychology. I, you know, when you go through something like this, all you want to do is help other people. And so for me, like all I've wanted to do is help people. And I, you know, I'm always called the therapy friend out of my friends. Like I'd love to, you know, help my friends with their problems and everything. And I think I've always just kind of, you know, danced around with different types of psychology that I was interested in. Um, but I think that for me, I have really been going towards the path of becoming a therapist. And I really want to become a therapist that specializes in patients that have chronic illnesses because, you know, nothing about Lyme is talked about enough just in general, but I think especially the emotional impact that Lyme has on people is not talked about. And I think that it's so important. And the amount of times I wish, I mean, I was in therapy all of high school, but the amount of times I wish that my therapist had Lyme and would like really understand it, like it would have just been a game changer for me. And so I really want to work, especially with teens that have Lyme, because that's, you know, really difficult. And that's what got me interested in doing the Global Lyme Alliance peer mentorship that I do. But I have always been passionate about helping people. And, you know, one day, like my big dream is to have some sort of wellness retreat, you know, where I mix all the things that I'm passionate about, like psychology therapy sessions, but then I'm also want to get yoga certified to be a yoga instructor. And, you know, so kind of mix all those things together. But ultimately, I think Lyme has made me just want to help people. So talk to us about the psychological elements of your Lyme disease journey. We spend a lot of time talking about the tactics that people use to heal. We talk about the tactics people use to get diagnosed, but we don't really spend a lot of time talking about the emotional component of, uh, of your Lyme disease journey. And I've heard some folks argue to me that a Lyme disease journey is really 80% emotional or mm -hmm. psychological and only 20% tactical. Would you agree with that? And talk more about how you were able to use your understanding of your mind to first get yourself started on your healing journey and how it helped you to consistently pivot from one type of treatment to another and ultimately get you to remission. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I don't know what I would say to that statement about, you know, Lyme being 80% psychological. I think it's different for everyone, which is something that I always try, you know, to tell people around me is like every single body is different. Every single experience is going to be different for me, especially when it came to my relapse, a lot of my journey was psychological that I had to deal with. But, you know, when I was younger, a lot of it was more uh, tactical and physical. And so, you know, there's always, it's going to be different for everyone. And I think for me, like, what really got me started on that healing journey, you know, is I didn't want to be sad about Lyme anymore. And I think that was really hard to kind of come to terms with that because especially being in high school, you know, no one really understood it. And because of the people I was surrounded by, no one really cared. And so 
I felt really, really isolated. And so, you know, I was doing all these things, help my physical body, taking antibiotics, doing ozone, doing treatment. And it felt like there was something missing. And I think a lot of it, you know, which I've talked about has to do with my mom because of what she does for a living. But I really, you know, once I started taking psychology classes and I became really passionate about, you know, psychology and the mind and helping yourself, I really started to get in tune with more of what my body needs. And that's where I really got into yoga. And I started taking yoga regularly and starting to do like a regular meditation practice or get time outside. And so I think that a big part of Lyme is it's not always going to help your symptoms, but I think I've never like sat outside for 10 minutes and felt worse. And so I think it's always just finding that balance and recognizing that a lot of things that you could do, there's a lot of things that you can do just to ease your mind a little bit if your body's flaring up. So Romy, talk to us about the differences between the cognitive processes in your, in your brain and the emotional elements of your mind and mindset and how they sometimes work together and how they sometimes were opposed to one another and what impact that had on your healing journey. Yeah. And so I think for me, what was really hard with the cognitive processes was when I had brain fog. And I think that it was just really hard for me to be able to focus and to be able to concentrate and to, I really couldn't remember a lot of stuff. I mean, even now, I don't remember a lot from my childhood, you know, growing up because of that. But I think a lot of times, you know, with that, a lot of the healing comes from healing your mind on the other side, kind of how you were saying the emotional. And so for me, like, yes, doing supplements and everything really helped like my cognitive brain and really helped with my brain fog and everything. But I think where I healed the most was when I really started doing therapy. And I think that like, if I didn't have a therapist throughout high school, and especially when I relapsed, I probably wouldn't be here. And I think that's a big thing that I would advise to people is, you know, even if therapy is not an option to you, there's a lot of places, you know, Global Lyme Alliance, you can do a peer mentorship and talk to people that have Lyme. I think that that really helped the emotional aspects of it a lot. So were there times during your emotional journey where your mind was giving you feedback that wasn't helpful to your healing journey and you had to get a hold of that and cognitively make decisions differently than your mind or your mindset were encouraging you? Absolutely. I mean, the hardest thing, especially during my relapse was my ego. Like I, you know, would wake up one morning, not feeling very well, um, flaring up a lot. And my brain would be like, no, you need to go to school. Like school has to come first. Like you need to be a normal student and go to school. And I would have to, you know, stop it, intercept it and be like, no, I'm not feeling well. I need to prioritize my health. And I think it's something like no one's ever going to be perfect at it. I'm certainly not perfect at it. It takes time. So how did you merge the operation of your mind and the operation, you know, the executive functions or the cognitive functions of your brain so that you could get on a healing journey and be in the the place you needed to be both psychologically and emotionally? Yeah, I think a lot of it was meditation. I think being aware of your body and being aware of the different things that my body would do and how it would respond, I think really helped me get on that healing journey. I think I experienced a lot of resistance where if I wasn't feeling well, or if, you know, I was emotionally struggling, I would resist those feelings. And I think, you know, that ended up being difficult for me this fall when I ended up having to go home, you know, it kind of, you know, came back up, but I think being very aware and not resisting any of those feelings really helped my body and my mind and my cognitive mind, you know, all to come together. Because I think that if you're resisting healing, which I know is really, really tough because I resisted it for so long. And I know a lot of people do because Lyme is so difficult and traumatic, but I think once you just stop resisting and start noticing more, you'll start to realize different things that are going to work to calm your mind down and then ultimately end up helping your body. So when you say calm your mind down, what was the active mind doing that was preventing you from healing the way you needed to heal? Um, I think 
kind of how I was talking before about my ego. I think anytime I wanted to do something that would heal myself, my brain would then tell me, you know, you're not a normal, you're not a normal teenager. You need to be, or no, you need to do homework or no, you need to go hang out with your friends, you know? And also a lot of it was attributed to the friends that I had, you know, and feeling pressure to do that. But I think my ego was really difficult because it would just say, you know, no, finish that assignment. You don't need to go to bed. And I think that once I really had to kind of stop resisting that, like, cause it's one of those things that's really complicated, you know, like you don't want to be like, I need to do homework. I can't go to bed, but you don't, so you don't want to resist the fact that the thought is there. You want to observe the thought and say like, thank you brain for, you know, being worried or thank you ego for worrying about me. But right now I need to go to bed because my physical body needs rest. And so I think a lot of calming that mind just comes from being aware that the ego is there and not trying to fight with it, but work with it. So now we have one final question for you. If God forbid your mother came walking into your room and she showed you that she was being bitten by a tick, what would you recommend that she do so that she wouldn't have to go on a relapse journey the way you have? Yeah. I mean, this is something we talk about all the time. And it's something that my mom always, you know, told me when I was like going to college, like what happens if your friend gets bitten by a tick? And I think, you know, that's the most terrifying thought ever to have my mom get bitten by a tick. But, you know, the first thing I would recommend is, you know, just take a tweezer to try to remove the tick as carefully, you know, as you can. And then immediately we would call one of the doctors that we have, um, probably Dr. Marin, have an appointment with her, get her started on some sort of supplement or homeopathic remedy um, to really just nip it in the bud. I know plenty of people in my life that have, you know, gotten bitten by a tick. One of my friend's brothers got bit by a tick and they really nipped it in the bud fast. And so I think the biggest thing is just action. And so if she came to me, the first thing I would do is then call Dr. Mara, you know, handle the tick and then uh, give her the homeopathic remedy. I think Leadum is what she recommends. Um, Cause that can kind of help with that. And so, you know, just quick action, just not sit around and be upset about it. Just go. Thank you for listening to the tick bootcamp interview with our guest, Romy Rosen. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Romy Rosen and her Lyme disease journey, please visit our Instagram page at Romy Rosen underscore. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Thick Bootcamp podcast, please share with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, Thick Bootcamp has created a Thick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by guests like Romy Rosen of this podcast. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or improvements you would like to offer us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review or rating on iTunes or on our website. Thank you, as always, for listening.